0: I want to jump into the end of Marcus's message last week, and so I'm just going to start in in Luke 15. And if you missed Marcus's message last week, I would in, encourage you uh, go back. It's uh, just on it's the Father's heart, and I'm going to I'm going to try to do this quickly, but I also don't want to skip over anything that the Lord just would have for us in this time. I Feel like it's a really important message for the church in general, the larger church. Um, We see see the first part of of Luke 15, and it's really about the father's heart uh, for the for the lost, for the for the for the prodigal who has kind of just gone on their, their wayward ways. And but then there's something that Jesus does at the end of Luke 15 that he 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 shifts and in the story he begins to talk about, really, I would say, the church. He's talking about those that, are, uh, that are, know the, the Word of God and are... Uh... Somebody has a tea up here. Oh, is that for me? <laughs> oh, hey. It looked good. I just didn't want to drink it if it was somebody else's tea. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take a sip of it that here. Well, that's awesome. Green tea. Thank you. All right, now I'm ready. <laughs> All right, so go, to me, go, go with me to the end of, of Luke 15. I'm going to start in verse uh, 25, and I just want to hit this part, and then I'm going to actually take you into Luke 14 and tie this in, I hope. That's the plan. Um, so in Luke 15:25 it says, and by the way, I'm in the NIV. If, if you want to f- follow along Uh, with it up here. Look at that. Andrew's rocking it. Oh, Oh. (laughs) it's not Andrew. Who is that? Oh, is that Lynette? Oh, Ruth. Hey, good job, Ruth. Way to go. Okay, here we go. So, meanwhile, so you guys know the story, hopefully, but it's the the son, uh, he goes away from the father, he takes his inheritance, spends it all, ends up with the pigs. Um, ends up trying to eat the pig slop, and finally it says he comes to his senses, comes back to the father. He's like, I'm just going to surrender basically my life. I'm going to live for him as a slave or a servant of him because it's a better life than the life that I have currently. And uh, as he goes to the father, he goes, he's about to tell him what he's going to do, and the father basically kind of shuts him up and says, nope, you're my son. As he came back, and as he does repent, he comes back into that place of repentance. He surrenders his, his life, basically. It's a beautiful place of that, like, okay, I've tried to live my life. Now I'm going to live for you. And the father goes, awesome, come on in. And he wraps his arms around him, kisses him, puts the robe on him, puts the, the ring on his finger. It's, it's, that's the beautiful part of this, of this, uh, this product, or this parable that Jesus has. The sad part is actually the second part. And, uh, and you see, again, the Father's heart. The, the father, or Jesus didn't just spend time with the sinners. He also spent a lot of time with the Pharisees, with the teachers of the law, with the Sadducees, with those that were well-trained uh, in the Word, with those who are kind of the, the pastors, the teachers, the, the ones who have been in church for 20, 30 years, and uh, that, that know what to do and how to do it and how to live the Christian life. And uh, by the way, I'm going to probably offend everybody today, so, but let me just say I love you, <laughs> and then you're going to get offended, but that's okay, and then the Lord will help you with the offense, and then you'll love me back, and it'll be all good, and God always works it out. Uh, but I, I do want you to open your hearts today just to kind of hear things, not from a perspective of, of them, but maybe that, I, that we carry some of this in us. And, uh, that, and the, the reason is, is I feel the Lord wants to kind of remove, he, not kind of, he wants to remove those things from us. All those things that could possibly be offenses for what the Lord is about to do in this place and across the state, across this nation, as he pours out his spirit in amazing ways. We cannot get offended because we think we know the way it needs to happen or what needs to be. Jesus did not offend the sinners, he offended those that thought they knew the way that God worked. It's a lot of us in this room, so don't go, oh, that's them. No, that's, go, go. that's me. <laughs> Come on, that's me. That's me, yes. That is all of us. Uh, there's always that area for, and, and there's those places in us where we can get offended. And I've seen so many people get offended, and I just go, oh, don't. Don't take offense at these things. Allow the Holy Spirit to actually move and, and bring you into a place of greater humility and dependence upon Him and in that childlike faith and not the adult faith. We need childlike faith. Uh, so where was I? Uh, so oh, I was telling you the story. So here we go. So now, now he throws the ring on, he kills the fatted calf, and they have this awesome party. Well, in the midst of all that, the older son is out in the field. He's still working away. He is, even his words, slaving away and obeying the father and doing the father's work. And so he comes back and says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when, when he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called to the servants and asked them, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother went, yes, I'm so excited. My brother's home. <laughs> I can't believe it. This is amazing. No, the brother is angry. He becomes angry. And this is much of the church, I believe, and where the church is. And uh, so I'm not coming against the church. I'm saying, church, it's time to kind of shift in our mindset. Uh, that, and, and it says, and he refused to go in. And so the father went out, and he pleaded with him again you see the father's heart so as he loves the younger son so he loves the older son but the jesus is kind of showing two extreme opposites this spirit of prodigalism <laughs> is that a word and the spirit of religion this spirit of like where we think we know how god moves we think we know what god's supposed to do and and uh, and so the father's pleading with him. He's like, come in. But, but the son answers the father and he goes, look, all these years, here's the word. I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even acknowledge him as his own brother, which is another area I think sometimes in the church, it's like, Oh, well, that's not a brother. <laughs> no, like when we both are in Christ, we're brothers in Christ, there's a different mindset that we need to have. Uh, we, it says you lay your life down for your brother, not just the ones that you like. Uh, so it says, when this son of yours, who is, he squandered your property with prostitutes, and now he's come home and you kill this fatted calf for him, and the father says this, my son, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had, and I love this last part, we had to celebrate. This is, this is the father's heart. This is what you see in heaven when one comes into the kingdom. We have to celebrate. Why? Because, I'll just read it from here. Because your brother, this brother of yours, which the father reminds him, because the son's going, that's the, the son of yours. And the father goes, no, the brother of yours was dead, and now he is alive again. He's lost, now he's found. There is a joy that the father had in this, and he's like, we have to celebrate. You have to celebrate. You have to come into this place. This is your brother, and you need to come into this place of celebration with me. You're both, one is not more valuable than the other, but... but the, the mindset of, of what religion has done, I mean, religion is the very thing that killed Jesus, and, and what happens here, it's interesting that there's, the story ends there. It, it, like, doesn't go, then the Pharisees and the Sadducees were like, oh, we're so sorry. We see how we relate to that. <laughs> we don't know. I wish we could kind of get the rest of the story there, but uh, we don't know the rest of that story, but... Uh, so I'm, so take that. This is this this place. I believe. And, and let me see. This older son. I feel like the the key in this that he didn't have is he lacked that intimacy with the father. He did he did everything that he was supposed to do, but he didn't actually know the father. Uh, there's a in in Revelation two. It talks about uh, the to the church of Ephesus. It says uh, you've. You've forgotten your first love. It's the very thing that he comes against the the church on. And, uh, and what does it mean, your first love? It, it means to put him first above all else. He's, he might be our third love, but he's meant to be our first love. He's meant to be above everything. And in that place with the Father, when, when you... Have that first love with the father of that intimacy. You know his heart. This older son had no idea about the father's heart. All he did was he's like, I gotta do these things. He was never a son. He was actually an orphan, acting as a son. So hold that thought now, and I wanna, I wanna take you to, uh, to John five. I, I, it's funny. I don't know if Marcus talked on John five or not, but. I woke up Saturday morning, and, and I didn't, I couldn't even think what John 5 was. It was just one of those things, but I, I literally saw John 5, uh, 24. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, I just, I saw it so clearly, and then I tried to go back to sleep, and it was like, it was like a bright light, and I'm like, okay, so then you have to get up, and like, Lord, what are you, what are you doing, and so I'm going to just tie this in, and it was crazy. I read it, and I'm like, oh. Okay, as I've been in Luke, now I see the connection here with John, John 5. So starting in verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. That younger son was not condemned when he came and he ran, he came to the father. The father, he threw his arms around him. It says this, it says, he has crossed over from death to life. What does the Father say? He goes, he was dead, but now he's alive. He was once dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. So it says what happens is in that place, we cross over from death to life. He goes, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear, and, and that word here. You hear Jesus say this over and over again. He says, have ears to hear. And it's not just like, oh, I heard it, but it's an understanding that goes beyond our mindset. It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual understanding that he, that he has for us that comes only by the Spirit. And, and when we walk in it, when we have those ears to hear, we step into the fullness of God's plan and his purposes for our life. So it says this, it says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. And then it says, and the son has, or the father has given the son authority to judge because he is the son of man. And then, do I want to go in the rest of this. Um, Yeah, I'll just read this next part. It says, so, so, Do not be amazed at this, for for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, and they will come out. All. He doesn't say some, so those that say yes to him and those that also say no to him. You remember when Jesus uh, was resurrected, and in that time, there were others that came out of the grave, so we've we've not seen this personally, but this is this has happened before, where multiple like I think it was was it like, I mean there were there was a number of people that that came up from the grave, that came out of their graves. It'd be kind of weird, you know. You're walking around and Jesus is resurrected, and then you're like, well, there's Uncle George. <laughs> I thought we buried him, <laughs> but uh, th- this is going to happen, like physically happen. This isn't some kind of like. Meta, you know, uh, what's the word? Uh, metaphoric, yeah. It's not a metaphoric statement. This is a. This will really happen. It says, uh, so do not be amazed at this, for time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and will come out. And it says, and those who have done good will rise to live, but those who have practiced evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. This is the words of Jesus. And my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. There's there's a lot to this. Uh, and I don't feel like I have the time to fully go into it. But I, I w- what I want to explain here is... There will come a day where there is, there will be a judgment. And, and those that have w- done the will of God, have walked according to his ways, will rise to be with him. The others will rise, but there will, they will be condemned. And, and our part, we play a part in this uh, without getting into the details, but it, it talks about in Ezekiel 33, it talks about the watchman of the wall and as we are mothers and fathers as especially those that are have been are mature in Christ and have been walking this life for a while it, it is not about us it is all about understanding the father's heart and and the older brother did not even understand in that story that the the older brother did not understand the father's heart for the younger son he didn't even call him his his own brother and so what the father would have loved to have seen is an older brother running after and going after this son and bringing him back and saying, here's the younger son. Now let's throw a party. He's back. But the older brother doesn't even, he doesn't even acknowledge him. And, and I feel like this is that place of the, when we don't walk according to the father's heart, when we don't carry his heart, we, were, we think we're doing his will, but we're not actually in that place of knowing his heart. We're not, it's, it's not that, uh, it's not that first love. In, in uh, Matthew 7, I'll just, I'll just take you there. I feel like this is that, that older brother, uh, and it's a strong statement that Jesus uses here. It says, not everyone, this is in Matthew seven twenty one. it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father. Now, if you take that back to this other story, you go, well, he did, he did the will. He did his will. The will of the Father is not just doing it. It comes out of a motive and it comes out of the heart. It says that the Lord he actually looks at the heart. so you can you can walk through life and you can do things, and this is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing, and, and Jesus called them a whitewashed tomb. They were doing the very things that that they were supposed to be doing, but their hearts were in a different place, and that that older son, his heart was in a different place. He didn't have the heart of the Father. So that to do the will of the Father actually requires a heart position. He looks at the heart more than he looks at the action. Now here's the thing, is when the heart aligns, the actions will follow. It says faith without works is dead. So if you say, if you say yes, I love Jesus, and he's my Lord and Savior, and, and you don't walk according to his ways, it doesn't mean that we don't mess up. That's where the grace of God comes in. That's where his, his love just, like, he picks us up when we mess up. But we have to turn to him. But if, if we say we love him and then we walk in our own way, you don't actually love him. It's, there's, there's a scripture in First in John that talks about, because one of his commands, one of his biggest command is love one another. So he goes, if you say you love me and, let you, you let, and yet you hate your brother, you're, the love of God is not in you. You don't have my love. So it, it, it's a heart position that he requires of us. And the, the thing, I'll just kind of give you the overarching where I'm going here. He's, he requires us to be completely emptied of ourselves. Completely. You can't have any of you left in there. Otherwise, it's not blameless and it's not holy. The holiness, and the, blame, the holiness and blamelessness comes when we finally get all of us out and all of him in. And it, yes, his blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. His spirit comes in us for the purpose of that we would be holy as he is holy that we would actually step into that place and walk in that place of righteousness and holiness. He's calling us into that place. And and it's amazing that the church has has kind of dumbed that down and taken this grace piece to go, well, you don't really have to walk that life because you have grace. And and I would say we've just missed it. Our job is to fully run after that holiness and, and that righteousness of the Lord. And then, but we can't do it in and of ourselves. That's where the grace comes in. His grace is the very thing that comes in by his spirit that he empowers us to walk in the life that he calls us to walk in, that we can actually love as he loved. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me jump. So, okay, here we go. Now I'm going to just go through this uh, Luke 14 and move, move quickly in this. And I think this, hopefully this will all just tie together here. Lord, help it tie together. Um, so it's interesting that the end of, of Luke 15, now bringing it back to Luke 14, and it really ties together here. Um, I'm almost like, gosh, you put, should have put Luke 14 after Luke 15, and it would have just kind of flowed right in. But they, they did it. I didn't do it. Uh, so in Luke 14, it's this, it starts with this story of Jesus... <laughs> on the Sabbath day, because um, Jesus actually i think really enjoyed offending people um, yeah, so he goes he goes to this home and uh and it 's this this kind of chief Pharisees, one of the top Pharisees uh of that time and uh and and he 's invited i don 't even know why he's invited but he 's invited to this banquet he 's invited to this big party and here 's <laughs> You, just, you, gotta, you have to picture this. I was reading this, and, and I'm just laughing because it's so funny how Jesus is. And he, he walks in, and it says, and there was this man with dropsy, which is a disease, right, right in front of him. And so he doesn't even make it barely into the front door of this banquet where this, this uh, prominent Pharisee is. And, and there's a man there that needs healing, and it's on the Sabbath day. Now, I, I go, Jesus, like, he, did, he, he does this, by the way, seven times he heals on the Sabbath. And this just gets the Pharisees and the Sadducees every time. Because you're, according to the law, their law, which is, isn't even in this law, the Old Testament law, but th- this is that traditions of man that actually nullify the word of God. Uh, they had come up with this thing that you can't heal on the Sabbath. And so what does Jesus do? He kind of waits for the Sabbath, and he's like, okay, now I'm going to heal, <laughs> and <laughs> just to get him. And so he walks in the door. He sees the guy who's, who's, who has dropsy, and then he asks the question. He goes, hey, is it unlawful to heal on the Sabbath? <laughs> <laughs> and all the Pharisees, they were there, and all the, the teachers of the law, they are like, they didn't say a word. They're like, I'm not saying anything, because they know Jesus would like, He'd come up with something that would just nail him. And so they've learned by this point. So they were very quiet. And so Jesus goes, okay. Turns and heals the guy with dropsy. And they're like, No. <laughs> Which you would think everyone would be like, ha, oh, what a way to start a party. We just had a healing. Like this guy just got healed. And they're all already upset. Yeah. So so you get you kind of get the picture of, and this is Jesus walking into this party and yeah, he doesn't start off on the right foot. <laughs> so then the next thing he does, uh, which is really funny, so I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing this, but uh, is is he kind of he sits back and it says that he noticed how the guests pick their places of honor at the table, and so he's watching them come in and kind of like vibe for position and try to get that seat right next to the to the host and. Uh, And so then he tells a parable. (laughs) So here they are. They're all trying to get their positions. And he goes, hey, let me tell you guys a parable. And he goes, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may be invited. And if so, the host will, who invited both of you will come and say, hey, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the seat at the least important place. But when you arrive, or when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when the host comes, that he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place, then you'll be honored in the presence of all the guests. He's telling this story to these people that are trying to get the best position. So again, more offense. (laughs) And then he says this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Strong statements here, um, and what he's what he's teaching in this is, is first off, he's, he's creating a spirit of offense, and then he's saying, now I want you to humble yourselves. So he's teaching the Pharisees something really important. He's teaching us something very important, because I think we have a tendency in this world to try to vie for position in so many ways, I mean, without poking too much, I mean, I see it in the churches, even in the ways of, well, how many members do you have in your church? How many, how many people do you have? How many Facebook likes do you have? Or how many followers do you have? You see this a lot in the, on the worship side of things. Uh, like like they're, they're pushing to get like their, their likes up or their, you know, um, they're vying for that position of look at us, look what we've done. I'm telling you, this is all gonna get shaken. This is all gonna get shaken to the core. I don't know exactly how, but it's gonna come back to Jesus. And and I'm hoping, I want us to catch it before it catches us, before the things actually begin to shake us, that we would shake these things off of us, that we would come into that place of humility, hearts so turned towards Jesus, that none of the other things of this world matter. These things, that, that these people were fighting for position, we should always be. No, you take that position. It's in, in uh, uh, Romans twelve three. It says, think of others more highly than yourselves. Respect others more than yourself. This is a kingdom mindset versus the worldly mindset. But I would say even in the church, and let me just, preface, I love the church, (laughs) but I feel like the Lord is shifting things in the church. Even in the church, we need to get to that place where we actually consider others more highly than ourselves in every way, in every area of our life. We're not vying for position. And I even hate, like, I hate being up here. I am not any better than any one of you. Sometimes I'm like, I know people are like, I need the pastor to pray for me. You don't need me to pray for you. I don't pray any better than anybody else. <laughs> it, we're the body of Christ, and we're all in this together. And again, I, I've told you this before. We all play our part. When you come into church on Sunday, you're not here to receive, you're here to give. You're here to pour out what you have, what the Lord has given you to give to others. I love, we have people up here and others come, came alongside and just begin to pray. Even when you're out there in those times, I would encourage you, pray with someone. If you get a word for somebody, if you just get an encouragement, something that the Lord just puts on your heart, just, hey, can I just give you a word of encouragement or can I just pray over you? Or, man, when we start to do this, when we start to strengthen each other as the body of Christ, uh, watch out. Watch out, world, because the church is going to come alive. Um, the, one of the biggest issues with the church today is is everything is about what I can get out of church. And so I hear the word church shopping all the time. I'm just church shopping. Like, what? And I, and I know that's probably some of you. I probably heard it from some some of you. It's okay, but we need to change the mindset because we don't church shop. We're not here to, to get something. We're here to give of our lives to Jesus. We're here to surrender everything we have to him and to worship him and to behold him. And that we, when we come together, we're here to encourage each other. We're a, this is the family of God. We're here to, to come alongside each other. And man, how can we help you? When you've seen somebody struggling, somebody in need, how can I help and come alongside you? Can I pray for you? We need, this is where I'm, we've been talking about, we need mothers and fathers in the church to step up and to become mothers and fathers and to walk alongside those that are new believers. That We're seeing so many people come into the kingdom. Uh, just, I mean, in the past couple of weeks, um, we saw like 13, two weeks ago, new believers come into the kingdom or people coming back into the kingdom. We saw another like six or seven uh, last week. We saw five, five people gave their life to the Lord yesterday in the food bank line. Uh, this is, it's awesome. But I'll say this, it doesn't end there. It, this is just the beginning of now. Like those that are new believers, man, we got we to walk alongside them. It's not an easy walk and it's not an easy walk for any of us. Even where, like doesn't matter where I am, where you are, where any of us are, it's still, it's a, it's a walk that we're on. We're, we're, where eyes are on Jesus, it's a race, and we run with perseverance. We run we run with that endurance, the race that is set before us. But we don't run alone. We're not intended to run alone. We're intended to do this together as the body of Christ. So, I mean, even I love, like, as some are gathering together in homes, and this is important. This church is not a Sunday morning activity. Church is meant to be in homes. It's where it started in the homes, uh, it doesn't mean that we don't gather corporately and encourage each other, but I, I think of this. I just think of this as like the locker room. This is not like the main thing for church. It should be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, where you're gathering together, you're breaking bread together, you're encouraging each other, praying together. Like that's that's the essence of the church. It's the it's the it's the ecclesia. It's not a building. Thank God for this building. And I know this building is going to be used in amazing ways. And already is, but to be used as a, as a resource center to help and to bless, and that we can come together and get, get direction and kind of meet in the locker room. And man, this is what we feel like the Lord is doing. Break. Now go and run the place. Now go and do the things that you're called to do. Don't, don't just go. I, I've, I said this a long time ago, is this analogy of like, it's kind of like you get into the, the huddle, Sunday morning huddle, and we go, OK, here's the play. And then everybody breaks and it's like, and goes, wow, that was a great play. That was awesome. Walks away, comes back next Sunday and says, all right, what's the next play? Like, we well, you didn't even run the play. <laughs> let's, you got to run the play during the week. And then let's come back. We'll huddle up and like, OK, Holy Spirit, what are you showing us now? What's the next thing that you're revealing to us? But we need to be running these plays. Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday and I want to I just I know I'm, I just kind of stepped off a little bit but I just feel like this is important if you don't know how to run the place man come on Saturday morning and uh, just be a part of of w- when we're just praying together you can help there's there's with the food setting up food but we take it out and help people in, in need and and you learn how to pray learn how to pray with people come alongside somebody else who's doing it and and it's an awesome opportunity uh, to just to jump in, we're just going to jump in. I, I always say uh, we don't we don't point, aim, and then shoot. We point, shoot, and then we'll aim. We'll figure it out. We'll get it. We'll get all the details worked out. But let's let's go after it. Let's go after people. Let's let's see His kingdom come in this season, in this time. So, okay, let me jump back into this. Oh, we got like another two hours. We're good. Okay. <laughs> I'll be quick. Here we go. Uh, so the next thing he does here's this is so he just he just basically told everyone, "Hey, you're prideful. You need to humble yourself." <laughs> um, Jesus is doing really well at this banquet. The next thing he does is he turns to the host and he says, "This, hey, if you're gonna have this feast, this party, and you're gonna invite your your friends and your brothers and your relatives," and your rich neighbors. Uh, he's like, don't do that. And so literally, in front, of, in front of everyone at the party, he's turning to this Pharisee that's the chief Pharisee and telling him that he really messed up and all and who he invited to this party. And, uh, and then he said this. He goes, for if you do that, uh, they may invite you back, and so you're going to get repaid. But do this. And this is where he's, he was showing them the heart of the Father. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, and you will be blessed. It says, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is this place of a different mindset of we are laying our treasures up in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy we're not laying our treasures up here on Earth. We're not, we're not vying for position and, and kind of coming alongside our buddies. and uh, yeah, so let, let me read this this uh, Proverbs 19:17 says this. It says, "When you give to the poor, you're lending to God, and He will reward you for what you have done." This is a really cool statement. And uh, Marcus and I, we were talking about this. As, and Marcus was like, isn't it cool if you think of it this way? Like, you're walking along and you see somebody in need. And you kind of get this tug on your arm. And it's, it's, it's Jesus going, hey, hey, can, can you lend me some money? Because I want to I wanna help this guy out. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, f- f- yes, of course, Jesus. <laughs> here, here, how much do you need? Here, here's the money. And, and then Jesus goes, yeah, here you go. I just want to bless you with this. That's basically what we're doing, what we get the opportunity to do. I think when we get that tug in our heart of, man, I just, man, somebody's hurting. They're in need. Whether it's financial, whether it's just they need prayer, whether they just need someone to come alongside them and say, hey, I'm going to walk with you. But you're lending. You're lending your money. You're lending your time. You're lending these things. And there is, there is a reward. We don't, I'm like, I don't even want to do it for the reward. I just want to do it because it's the Father's heart. My heart is to have his heart. I want to capture his heart that I would walk so closely to him that everything that I do would be as he would do on this earth. That is my prayer for all of us. That is my hope for every one of us, that as we walk through life, we're not trying to like, well, I guess I have to do this or I need to, to give here or do this. No, we're doing it because it's, we're actually we've captured the Father's heart. So he goes on, he goes on to do this. He says, uh, he, uh, somebody, one of the Pharisees kind of yells out. He goes, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And, and I'm like, first off, you go, oh, the guy just kind of missed it. I missed the whole thing. And so Jesus says, okay, let me tell you another story. And he tells, him, he tells this this parable, and, uh, and he, says, he says this. I'm going to start in verse 17. He says, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, if you know, back in these times, these banquets weren't just something that, like, someone would say, hey, I'm going to have a party today. They would actually plan these things months in advance. And they would, tell, they would tell all those that are invited the day that the party was going to be on. And then they would respond and say, yes, we will be at this party. And so, understanding this, everyone who had been invited to the party had responded to the invitation and said, yes, we will be at this party. And so here it is. It's now the day of the party, the very day. And he's like, come, for everything is now ready. Today is the day of the celebration of the great banquet. And then here's what you hear. And it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said this, I have just bought a field, and so I must go see it. Please excuse me. Now, if, again even in today's times, but in, back in those times as well, this is an absurd excuse. Because first off, you would never go buy a field. You wouldn't buy a field and then go look at it. You would look at the field, inspect it, uh, walk it, and then if it's, if it's what you needed, then you would purchase the field. So here's, here's this guy making an excuse going, well, I, I bought this field, I got to go, go look at it. Like, you would never do this. And then the next one, Another says, well, I, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. <laughs> Again, another absurd excuse. Because if you were buying oxen at that time, you're going to check them out and make sure that they can yoke together, that they can work together. You wouldn't just buy them and then go, gosh, I, I hope they work out. A- and, so, so, and then the third one is another one here. It says, uh, still another said, Oh, I just got married. I can't come. Well, again, it's not like you go, hey, I'm getting married today. Oh, it's the same day that I had this banquet event. (laughs) Like, It's it's not something that would happen. You plan a marriage out. You plan your wedding day. and, And you've already accepted this other invitation for this banquet. And so you would never mix up the two. You would schedule the two at different times. You would have you would have that set up. So all the, what Jesus was basically showing is these excuses. These were just excuses that that made no sense. But this is this is the the kind of that place of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I feel like in those that like that you're invited to this feast, and and on the day they're like, yeah, I got other things I got to do. I'm I'm too busy. I'm not going to tie it in, uh, but you can go back. read this. Just read the story of the, uh, of the ten virgins. And this is that place of we need to have that intimacy with, with the Father. It's that oil, that we need to get that oil. Do not wait until the day of the wedding feast to go get your oil. Be like, oh, I need to go get that oil now. It'd be like Noah going, oh, I know I need to build the ark, and then it starts to rain, and you go, oh, I guess I better start building that ark. Uh, too late. No, there's a preparation time now, and he's preparing us for this for this feast. He's preparing us for this banquet. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready, and there can be no excuses on that day. So this is how he responds. This is how the father responds, or, or the, uh, the master. Um, first off, he gets a little angry. <laughs> says the owner of the house became angry, and so he tells the servant, he says, go out quickly, into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. The very thing that he told the, the, uh, the host, right, back earlier. And so what we're seeing is this, this heart of the father to say, okay, bring them in. Fill my house with them. And the servant responds, and he goes, we've done that. I love it that he, he, he goes, they get it, they do it, they bring them all in, and he's like, there's still room. And this is how big the master's house is. This is how big God's house is. There is room for more. And and capture, the get this get the father's heart here, what he says. So the, it says, the master tells the servant, go out into the roads, go out into the country lanes. It says, I think the, yeah, the roads, the country lanes, some translations say the hedges, which I, I kind of see that as like, like the fence line, like go out to the very corners, to the edges of the property, and begin to declare, Bring, call the people in that are outside kind of of your, of your normal area. Go get them. And, and a lot of this ties into kind of that the Jews and the, and the Gentiles. Back in that time, it's saying like, yeah, it was the Jews. And he's like, well, now go get the Gentiles, which was always the Father's intent that we, if, if you're not Jewish, that you actually get to be, you're grafted in. We get to be a part of this. We're the ones, we're these guys out here. We're the ones that are on the roads in the country lane. But we're getting called into the banquet, this banquet feast. We get to be part of, we are the bride. Along, we're grafted in as part of the bride, for the bridegroom. Uh, so, so here it is. He's saying, go out. And it says, go out into these, and, and, and it says here, Oh, yeah, it says it right. It, compel them. Some translations say make them, but I like the compel them. Compel them to come in for this purpose, so that my house will be full. This is the Father's heart. And, and I want to, I just feel like in this time, we don't have time to wait around. We are in this last season, these last days right now. Um. Yeah, it's, it's clear we're in, we're in the last days. If you can, can you tell by just the things that are going on around us? There's a lot that's happening right now. We're in these times. We do not have time to wait around. This is where we capture the Father's heart. We need to be going out. We need to make the most of every opportunity, as it talks about in Ephesians, to go out and declare the goodness of God, to to talk about Jesus, to share about Jesus. I feel like this, the church has been so asleep in this area as well, and it's like, yeah, we come in on Sunday morning, we love Jesus, and then we go out, and we're, we're, we're quiet. We're not sharing Jesus with those that are right next to us, maybe in the cube next to us or in the office next to us. They don't even know about Jesus because we don't want to offend them or don't want them to think that we're, we're pushy or something. I'm like, we got to get past that. we got to get to the pushy point. Uh, we got to get to the point where we're going, no, you need to, you should be knocking on your neighbor's, like, your, the office door all the time saying, hey, can I tell you about Jesus now? And they're like, no, 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 I'm really busy. How about now? Is now a good time? <laughs> like, we don't have time to wait around. And this is what I feel like is the Lord saying here. He's like, look, today's the day of the feast. Go out, go out quickly and call them in, compel them to come in. This is the opportunity we have, and we have it right now to go share the love of Jesus with people and invite them into the banquet. And then this last part that I just want to hit on here is is this place of... He goes right into this cost of being a disciple. So it kind of ends with this this banquet at at the Pharisee's home. And then it says there was a large crowd traveling with Jesus... And he, and he turns to them, and he, and he begins to speak to them. And, uh, and he says some really hard words here. Uh, and I, I think, well, I'll just, here's the words. Jesus does this over and over again. You want, you want to get offended? Here's an opportunity to get offended. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brother, and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa, now that's offensive. <laughs> First off, Jesus is like, hey, you gotta, you got to love one another, right? He's like, love them as I love you. All of a sudden, he's going, no, you need to hate them. Strong words. We, we, we checked it out in the Greek because we were like, well, does it, is it really that strong? It's the test you need to hate them. So I'm not going to stop right there because I don't want you walking out of here going, well, sorry, I have to hate you from here on out. Here's what I want you to understand, the Father's heart in this, is that in order to be a disciple, what he's asking and what he's saying here is we have to give it all up. Everything that's in and of ourselves, we have to give up, which means that my love for my wife, my love for my family, my love for you guys, I have to give all that up. But it's I can't love you the way that the Father loves you until I, in a sense, hate you to have that much of a difference between that love for Jesus and that love for you. Because when I, when hear me out here, because when my love is fully dedicated to Jesus, when I, have, when I go to him alone, above any of you, above my family, above anything else, what I do is I now take on his love. His love is greater than any love that I could possibly have of my own. It says he first loved us with a love that he laid down his life for us. He gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, so that we could have relationship with Jesus or with the Father through Christ and then have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That is an amazing love that goes beyond anything that the world could possibly comprehend. So that position of, of hating my family, of hating them, it's because it's such a difference from my love for Jesus. And then when I receive his love, when I take on that love, now I can love my family with a love that I could never love them with. I could love them with a laid down love that I would surrender my life for them. So it is not a, it's not just a hate, I I hate them. No, I hate them so much that I, it's like, it's such a difference that I love Jesus. My heart is so for him, I'm taking all of him in, which means all of me goes, it's gone. I can know, you cannot love your own life. I can love nothing of my own life. And in that place, now I can be filled to the fullness of his love on the inside of me, to love you, to love you like I could never love you, to lay everything down. This is what he's calling us to. This is how we become disciples of Christ. So all of those things leading up to this, this is the crux of that. We've got to capture this. He goes into these, these two stories and, and basically what he's trying to explain here, he's talking, well, uh, in the first one, he's, he's talking about a you're a guy who's building a tower, and, and he has to estimate the cost of these things. The point in all this is uh, what they're trying to do is reason things out. They're trying to figure out how this is all going to work. We cannot do that. We cannot hold on to anything of this world. and And the and we, I know we, I say this all the time. It's like it's that Proverbs three. It says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding," which means stop thinking with your mind and allow the Holy Spirit to move you. He says, "Don't be wise in your own eyes." This is where Jesus. He He says, "Look, unless you, unless you become like a child, unless you become childlike in your faith, which means there's no longer this like." oh, I got it all figured out mentality. We have to have the mentality of, even when we know these scriptures, that we say, but Jesus, it's all about you. That I would humble myself completely and totally to say, you move in and through me and do whatever you want to do in me. I'm no longer of myself. I'm I'm living my life completely for you, which means that all the things of this world all the things that we have, our beautiful homes, our cars, our jobs, our families, everything. It, it, it means nothing compared to this place that we have with Jesus. And then everything comes out of that. Does that make sense? I hope we get this. Here's... here's We're going to walk out of this place, and here's the thing. I, like, there's going to be things that come up where fear is going to come in, where anxiety is going to hit, where frustration is going to hit. Let this be that, that, those flags that come up that go, oh, that's an area of my life that I'm still loving my own life. I'm still loving my own things. Because if you truly lay your life down, there will be nothing that you could get offended by there would be nothing that would change my love for for you. You could spit in my face. You can tell me off or you can do whatever you want. And my love for you will still be the same because I'm not, I have nothing in and of myself. It's not for me. I'm now carrying the love of Jesus. And it's what he's calling us to. This is how we become disciples of Christ. He says this. He says, if Any of you, it says if you, I'm sorry, let me say this in verse 33. In the same way, any of you who do not give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. Are we willing to give up everything that we have on this earth? And that's, I would say, on this earth. I'll caveat it with that because, uh, yeah, this is it's not about the things of this earth. None of it. It is all about his kingdom. And when we can get this mindset, and that's where these Pharisees and these Sadducees, man, they missed it. They missed it over and over again because they were so caught up in their ways and they had this mindset of they were doing the will of God, but they never understood the love of God. They never had the love in their their hearts. And so they were getting offended right and left. We cannot allow offense to have any part in our lives doesn't matter, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I've been through. (laughs) I was going to say I don't care. I do care, but it should not matter because you're holding on to something of this this earth. I do care. I care for you, but I I care more that you actually let go of that thing than that we we work out that thing and, and we deal with it. Don't deal with it. Die to it. Let it go. It's of this earth. It's of this world. We're called to love with his love. So would you guys stand? Oh. Philippians 3.8. I'm going to pray this as we close. i shall read it and pray it. Paul says this, starting in verse 7, he says, so Paul understood this. He got it. So my prayer is today that we get this. Just kind of put your hands out as I read this and as we pray. Paul says this, so whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that everything that we think is so important, that we would be willing to lay it down for this very thing, for just the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It says, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them rubbish. That word is actually poop. Consider them poop. <laughs> that I may gain Christ. Lord, I pray that we would consider everything of this world, all the things that we have, all the things that we had maybe, and they were even being shaken and maybe we're losing at this time. Lord, that we would consider them rubbish, that we would consider them dung, that we would consider them as worth nothing compared to this, compared to knowing you, compared to gaining Christ and being found in Christ. May we be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by the law or by, by the things that we know or by the things that we do, but that it's only through our faith in Jesus, our faith in Christ. The righteousness of, that comes from God and is by faith. And then he says this, I want to know Christ. Lord, I pray that we would, this is what we want more than anything else. Jesus, we want to know you. We want to know you intimately. We want to know your heart. We want to know your ways. We want to know your voice. We want to know your spirit. We want to know your character. We want to know you, Jesus. And then the power of the resurrection, that as we die to ourselves, that we actually can live resurrected lives in you. As we give of our own lives, as we say, no longer will I live my own life, my own way, with my own desires, but I'm going to die to that. I'm going to allow that to go and be crucified with Christ that then through the resurrection, the power of the resurrection by the Holy Spirit who actually raised Christ from the dead, that same Holy Spirit, that it would now come into us as we acknowledge Christ, as we say yes to Jesus, that we now come into the fullness of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to operate in his ways, to operate by, by the Spirit. Lord, teach us your ways. And that we would have the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. Ha, huh. everybody loves to skip that part. There are sufferings that we will have on this earth if we say yes to you. Lord, may we suffer well. <laughs> may we suffer well. Empower us to suffer well. You say, if, if, if you follow me, you will suffer. You will be persecuted. You will be hated by this world, but that's okay. Jesus says, cheer up. I've overcome the world. (laughs) Lord, I thank you that we are overcomers because of who you are in us. As we completely lay our lives down, we become like you in your death. That we would actually, as you died on a cross, that we would take up our cross. That we would carry that same cross. That we would die to ourselves. And then it says, and somehow we would attain to the resurrection from the dead. Lord, I thank you that you are the one that raises us up by your power, by your might. So Lord, I pray that we would today surrender it all to you. We would not be like those Pharisees and Sadducees that get offended because the traditions that we've always had, the things that we we think we know that you're supposed to operate and do it this way. Lord, blow up our own mindsets. Give us the wisdom of God, which is Jesus. We need Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that every person in this place would know you in a deep and intimate way. And if you don't know Jesus, call out to him. Cry out to him. Give up your own life to take hold of his. Lord, I pray that we would do that today. If you don't know Jesus, I, just, I want you to just come up here and talk to me afterwards. I just want to pray with you. I want you to know this Jesus intimately. He is the way He's the only way. He is the truth, and He is life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. So Father, I thank You right now that this is a a life we will live, laid down. We will be those that follow You. We will be disciples that hate everything else so much that that we would just take hold of Your love. And in that place, in that love, that we could love others with lives laid down, surrendered, fully surrendered. In Jesus' name, amen.